0: Welcome to the First Baptist Dallas Spring Training Program, our annual spiritual disciplines challenge designed to help you grow in your faith. What are you waiting for? A disciple's journey starts now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Spring Training Weekly Check-In Podcast. I'm Ben LaVorne, and I'm the Executive Pastor here at First Baptist Dallas. I'm really excited to get to talk with you each week during our spring training about what God is teaching us. The goal is to think out loud together so that we can get the most out of this year's spring training program. If you're listening to this and you don't know what spring training is, we've designed a page on our website to explain this whole program. It's our annual Spiritual Disciplines Challenge at First Dallas, so I'd encourage you to look in the episode description and click on the link to go to that page. You can also download this year's spring training daily journal there and follow along. Spring training is focused on building up good spiritual habits. One of the five habits that we're wanting to develop in spring training is reading scripture on a daily basis. The goal there is not just to check a box and move on. We want to build our lives on God's word. We don't just want to know more about Jesus. We want to become more like Jesus. Our theme for spring training this year is A Disciple's Journey, and we're focusing on the life of Peter. This week we had us reading the first five chapters of the Gospel of Mark. So let's reflect on what we've read this week and what Peter's life can teach us about our journey as Christ's disciples. In the first few chapters of Mark, we learn much about what it means to follow Jesus. The first and maybe the most surprising thing is just how little information is exchanged between Jesus and Peter when they first meet. The call to follow was not accompanied by a long explanation or justification. Jesus didn't front load the commitment. He didn't pull out a whiteboard and sketch out what the next few decades of Peter's life would look like, giving him a full proposal or a timeline. He doesn't provide a list of how much it will cost Peter or the places where it will take him. And In Mark 1, 16-17, Jesus simply says, follow me. Peter knows only that he trusts Christ and that he's willing to go wherever Christ takes him. And that's how the journey starts. Now, it wasn't as if Peter didn't have anything else to do. Just like you and me, Peter had a life. He had a small business. He had a family. But when Christ called him, suddenly that became the single most important thing in his world. Everything became relative to Christ. His life found a new center. Another thing we learn early on in Mark is that the call to follow Christ is for everyone. When you just think through the people that Jesus spent his time around, it's an odd ragtag group. Jesus intentionally drafted the bad news bears to follow him and ultimately to help change the world forever. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were all fishermen, and we learned that Jesus spent most of his time around people that most Jews wouldn't even associate with. In Mark 2, 14 and 15, the text says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me and he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Disciples came in all shapes and sizes, but perhaps even the stranger thing was the people who would have seemed most likely to follow Jesus, the Pharisees, were the ones who refused to do so. They were content to be his critics, to watch from the sidelines and shake their heads. Mark 2, 16 and 17 goes on to describe this tension, And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. When you think about what Jesus is saying, it's not that the Pharisees, the religious leaders and Bible experts at the time, did not need a savior. It's not that they were healthy and righteous and didn't need Christ. We know from scripture that we're all sick, we're all sinners, and we all fall short of the glory of God. The problem with the Pharisees was, wasn't that they didn't need a savior. Their problem was that they thought they didn't need a savior. They refused to admit they were sinners, or that they were sick and in need of healing. That's why Jesus spent his time around tax collectors and sinners. They were unrighteous and sick, but at least they were aware of it. They knew something was wrong, and there was a hole in their life, and they were open to the possibility that Jesus could be the answer, the solution. So the only prerequisite for being a disciple, the only prerequisite for going on the disciples journey is that you would humbly admit that you don't know where to turn without Christ. That you would humbly raise your hand and say, I need you, Jesus. I need you to save me. I need you to lead me. You have to admit you're sick before you can seek treatment. You have to admit you're a sinner before you can seek a righteous savior. The good news is that Christ came for you, to heal you, and to save you. The call to follow Christ is for everyone, if you will simply admit you're a sinner and seek out Jesus as your Savior. One thing you may be wondering about at this point is, why does Jesus call us at all? Wouldn't it be more efficient for him just to do the work of the ministry himself? Why does he involve a bunch of misfits and outcasts like us to do it? We get a little bit of insight into this in Mark 3, verses 13 through 15. The text says, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So we see three reasons why Jesus calls disciples here. Reason one, it was his desire First, Jesus calls those whom He desires. Why does He want these twelve men? The answer is simple, because He wants these twelve men. Why did He call you to follow Him? Because He wants you to follow Him. This gets into a mystery at the very heart of God, in the center of His will, one that we can never really explain but can only receive with gratitude. He chose these twelve apostles because He wanted to it was his choice and his good pleasure to call them. He chose you because he wanted to. It was his will to call you to himself. As Jesus reminded his disciples in John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. And as John says in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. Reason number two, he wants to be with us. Second, We learn here that Jesus calls and appoints the disciples so that they might be with Him. The call to follow is an action. It gives us work to do and a mission to pursue, and we'll talk about that in a second. But we shouldn't miss this. The call to follow means that we get to be with Jesus. We get to abide with Him. We get to spend time with Him. He wants us to be in His presence. He's going to take us somewhere but he wants to be with us the whole way there. Think about the Great Commission. Sometimes we skip over that final part. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus tells us to go into all the world making disciples of all nations. But at the end of the verse in 20, in the very last line of the whole gospel, Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus promises to be with us. This applies to the whole journey, every step of it. He's right there with you. As he says in John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Jesus will never leave us or forsake us, and nothing can separate us from him. As Paul says in Romans 8, 38 and 39, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Reason number three. He wants to send us out. The third reason given in this passage comes at the end of verse 14 through verse 15. He appointed the apostles so that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Christ has given us a calling and a mission. We're supposed to go out and tell the good news so that more people will join us on the disciples' journey and place their faith in Jesus Christ. We're commissioned to fight back against the powers of darkness through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has given us work to do. When we sign up to follow him, making more disciples becomes our job and He is there with us every step of the way to empower us and to strengthen us. One of our reflection questions for this week was, how has following Christ changed the course of your life? Play the what-if game for just a moment. Imagine how your life would be different if, when Christ said, follow me, you had responded, no thanks. Where would you be? What would you be doing? Where has following Christ taken you instead? You know, I was once a bit like Levi. No, I wasn't a tax collector, but I had begun a promising career as an attorney. And like Levi, I was probably more focused on worldly achievements than spiritual aims. But Jesus called, follow me, and he led me into full-time ministry. Not because I was righteous or holy or deserving of such an opportunity, to the contrary. It's only by His grace that He causes us to follow Him. But my decision to leave my legal career to serve the church didn't seem to make much sense to many people, but I'm so glad Jesus wanted me to follow Him. And I'm so glad that I did. And I know that whatever He's calling you to do, you too will be glad that you answered the call. What an incredible privilege and adventure it is to get to follow Jesus and see the power of God at work in our lives. When you're following Christ, you get to see people healed and restored. You get to see people delivered from the power of demons. You get to see people forgiven of sin. You get to see people raised from the dead. There's no limit to the power of Christ. And as his disciple, you get a front row seat to this incredible journey. You get to take a journey unlike any other the Disciples' Journey. I look forward to talking about the second luggage of the journey with you next week.